Nishant Malhotra from the Middle Road platform. The Middle Road is a global thought leader platform enabling social change and impact. Startup fuses media with edtech to spread affordable education. Check out www.themiddleroad.org. Today, I'm very happy to introduce Paula Semen, a senior project manager at Women in Migration Network, a nonprofit that promotes women's human rights for all migration and development policy. Paula wears many hats professionally and has worked across many organizations and profiles within the international development sector. She's presently based in Buenos Aires, Argentina, the capital of Argentina, and has a master's degree in international affairs from the School of International and Public Affairs, Columbia University. In today's splendid discussion, I chat with Paula on many issues governing society, including women's rights. Hello, Paula. Great to have you here for a podcast with The Middle Road. Hello, Nishan. Thank you very much for this opportunity. And well, I'm happy to, to talk with you. Thank you. It was an absolute pressure. And I really appreciate you accepting the invite. Paula, you work in a fascinating country, Argentina. I'm a diehard fan of Diego Maradona. I think nobody can forget Diego Maradona and 1986 World Cup. It had such a huge influence on everybody. Messi, of course, he's the present star in Argentina soccer team. Delighted to you know feature ultimately somebody from Argentina on the platform. This is the first time somebody is there from, as a matter of fact, South America. I very small brief on Argentina. Argentina has a gross domestic product of about approximately USD 450 billion, or it could be about 455 billion in 2021. Argentina is one of the largest economies in Latin America. Argentina has a vast natural resources in energy and agriculture. Within its 2.8 million square kilometers of territory, Argentina is endowed with ex- extraordinary fertile lands, gas, and lithium reserves, and has great potential for renewable energy. So this is a fantastic statistics I got from the World Bank. And before we uh, you uh, do discuss about your present work at a Women in Migration Network. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, as you mentioned before, uh, Women in Migration Network is a global network, and it includes organizations and activists from, from around the globe. It was founded in 2012, so this is the 10th anniversary. Now, this year, we are celebrating our 10th anniversary. Uh, I have joined the network in 2015. And what we seek is to strengthen the human rights of migrant women and girls in international migration policy, and also to make intersectional realities of women in migration more visible within the global women's rights movement. So we work in this two spaces, in the global migration policy spaces and also in the feminist uh, movement. And then particularly, I'd like to focus on on my work in Women in Migration Network. Uh, For the past year, I've been coordinating, I've been the coordinator of the Bridging Gender and Migration Project, uh, which is supported by the Robert Bosch Foundation. And this project prioritizes cross-sectoral and intersectional organizing at global and regional level. And it also focuses on the nexus of migration, gender, climate, and labor as key global priorities. So for the past year, we have organized five regional dialogues in Latin America, in Africa, in Europe, in Asia, and also in the MENA region. And they have this, well, regional dialogues have been extremely rich and with exchanges with 
more than 150 participants from different social movements, from uh, migration rights movement, women migrant movement, climate justice, labor, so labor unions, anti-racism movement. So it has been a great experience also to, to expand our presence in the, in the regions. And then we have also organized two thematic global dialogues. Uh, one uh, was a, a labor dialogue from a feminist, feminist lens, but uh, labor migration. No? And then also we this year, uh, last month, during the Commission of the Status of Women in the, in the UN, we organized a parallel event, uh, which was on the nexus of uh, migration, gender and, and climate change. And currently, we are participating in the International Migration Review Forum, uh, which is the first international high-level dialogue that is uh, evaluating the progress of the Global Compact for Migration, uh, which was approved by the, by the UN General Assembly uh, on 2018. And uh, during these negotiations, what we are advocating for is to for the Global Compact to center on the rights of migrants, the regularization of migration and the non-criminalization of migrants, because we believe that this impacts directly on the lives of migrant women and girls. I wanted to ask this follow-up question. I do agree. The situation for migrants has been very bad. You know, if you look at Algeria expelled about 17,000 migrants last year, mostly uh, this is of sub-Saharan origin, between January and October last year, which included rates of women and children and some registered asylum seekers. Now, this continued even during the COVID-19 lockdown, including violations of women's dignity. Women trafficking is also increasing according to human rights at an alarming rate in some countries globally. On the other hand, you, we have also seen Armenia ratified the Council of Europe's Convention on Protection of Children Against Sexual Exploitation and Sexual Abuse. You are an advocate of migrants, uh, women's rights. What are your views about 2021? Now, when you're talking about 2021, it might have been a very mixed year. Do you think we are making a progress with respect to migrant women and girls' human rights abuse globally? Yes, I'm pretty pessimistic. <laughs> I don't think that there was no progress at all, because mainly because of the pandemic. pandemic yeah. The situation of migrant women and girls has worsened during the pandemic because what it has done is to exacerbate the, the existing inequalities. There was an increase in the loss of jobs, uh, also, uh, on the other hand, more exploitation of uh, migrant women workers, uh, also an increase on gender-based violence and an increase of xenophobia. So the situation really is um, re really troublesome, but it's important that the pandemic has exposed uh, the inequalities that, that women migrant workers are, are living. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, you know, the inequalities have sort of, because of the pandemic and because of the situation, you know, now we even see the conflict which is happening in Ukraine. So there have been a lot of issues and I think the situation is not getting any better. That's true. Uh -huh. you, you know, you, you worked on a global mapping report on the intersection of gender and migration. Now your work encompassed research of more than 
300 organizations. Candy shared the methodology of the process behind the report. You studied at a policy school at Columbia University. It's one of the best policy schools and one of the best academic institutions in the world. How did your school also, if you could like take over, you you could talk about the process behind what sort of frameworks you used. And you can also talk about how your school, how your education prepared your journey within the development sector. Mm-hmm. Well, um, first, I'm, I'm going to answer your, your first question uh, about the, the methodology of, of this uh, report. And it was also a one-year process. And what we did was to carry out a, a survey during three months. It was uh, carried out globally. Uh, it was during the, the lockdown, so it was uh, all virtual. We, we did an online survey. And we had responses of more than 300 organizations around the globe. So based on on these responses, uh, we also carried out 20 in-depth interviews. Uh, Also, uh, we wanted to have a balance between regions of the the different uh, experts we interviewed. And then uh, what we did also was to... Uh, not only to do a, an interactive mapping, but also uh, we elaborated a report uh, that analyzes the situation of uh, migrant women and girls uh, in each region. And I, I don't know uh, if I can share the screen because I, I would like to, to show you the, the yeah, website. Yeah, sure. Um, Sure, you can. I'll just make, I'd love to see, and I would like the audience also to see because this is going to be a video and audio recording both. Uh, you you can find uh, also this uh, website with uh, all this work at www.womeninmigration.org slash map slash. Uh, well, the, the report is uh, titled No Borders to Equality, Global Mapping of Organizations Working on Gender and Migration. And here you have access to three tools. You have an, the report. Also, you have an interactive map I'd like to show you. Okay, this looks amazing. I think I missed it out. I would have had a couple of more questions otherwise on the topic. It okay. looks fabulous. Yeah. Yes, here you can enter, for example, and have all the information and contact details of each organization we have mapped. And then you have also an uh, interactive data visualization tool that you have global, regional, and sub-regional. For example, uh, South Asia, you would like to know uh, what sectors these organizations uh, belong to. So then you have all the categories if they work with climate justice, development, education, refugees, trade unions, uh, also the types of service, uh, the the different territorial scopes, if they work nationally, regionally. So I think uh, you can find this this all this data very useful. Also, the women, the situation of women immigration in the region, for example, uh, survivors of, of of violence, migration status. So here you have a lot of of data. And then finally, you can also download the the report. Yeah, that's pretty good. You know, you you we have a very clear cut idea. Of, you know where the actors were. You could look at. In terms of industry, you could also look at in terms of the countries, right? Or the regions. You could also do that. The regions, not, not per country. You can look regions, at right. globally, 
regionally and sub-regions. Great. The majority of the the non-profits or the organizations which you interviewed, they're from which region? Were more from Latin America or? Uh... No, no, it's uh, really balanced. Uh, Very balanced, okay. Uh, yes, organizations from all, all regions. Please, Paula, do continue. Okay, so uh, your second question uh, was referred to my experience at Columbia University. Um, I think it has been very rich. It was my first time abroad. Uh, and I think it opened my mind to the world. Uh, and it made me think that I could also work uh, globally, not only at uh, nationally or in Latin America. Uh, I met people from all over the globe there and I got very interested in uh, Africa and also in Asia. So I learned really a lot. And also I think the most important was the networking and the people I got to know. Not, not the, the curricula was interesting, but I think the, the most interesting was the, the persons and the access I, I got to, to get there. And after that, I, I was able to live in Europe for, for 10 years. And then on 2010, I came back to, to Argentina. So it really opened the door to have a, a global experience. Yeah, I'm sure New York would have been fantastic, you know. Did you like not only so the network, do you take any specific courses? Because the audience, this could be a great time for them to understand. You know, there are a lot of courses nowadays in program evaluation. It could be, it could be, you know, either qualitative or quantitative aspects. Uh -huh. Would you like to sort of, uh, you know, comment on any course which you think could have helped you? In your job? Uh, well, uh, on statistics, uh, data analysis, and also uh, economics, um, I think the different courses, the thing is that uh, my time in Colombia was back in 20, uh, well, in two, 2001, 2002, and I think the world has changed a lot. So many things I learned at that time that you have to be updated. <laughs> <laughs> always and and I think well it was I think a good basis but then you need to you need to be always uh, learning and, and updating yourself because the world changes very rapidly very fast yeah that's true it's a very rapidly changing world it's another very interesting thing I saw that you were an expert and you work with the you know you're a part of the expert working group on addressing women's human rights in the global impact now which we mentioned now you worked along with many leading organizations for example if you take united nations women unicef ilo UNHCR, etc how effective are these global institutions today we'll ask that question in addressing social problems and what do you think could be done to empower these institutions for bettering humanity mm -hmm. Uh, well, I was thinking about your question and I think, well, it have been a sort of ineffective, but I think that is due to the gap that exists between the global and the local. So I think uh, that's one of the deficits that this organization have. If they are only working from their headquarters in New York or, or in Geneva, uh, I think they... they get lost from the reality, the daily reality of, of people. But I think that uh, with this new Secretary General, 
there has been, um, they are changing the, the structure of the UN in a positive way, and their focus is more at national level and not so much at, as glo at global level, or not only at global. And for example, the UN Migration Network that, that was created after the, the Global Compact for Migration, they are creating a national networks, national migration networks that uh, include all the UN agencies at country level. So for example, I participated as a consultant on the creation of the UN Migration Network in Argentina. And this was a great experience because all the UN agencies were participating. And for example, last month we, we had, a, I was a panelist at an event that UN Women in Argentina organized. And it was about the situation of migrant women in, in Argentina with many participants. So I think that this gets these uh, agencies uh, more at, uh, to, to have more proximity <clears throat> to the local realities of, of people. We come to a question about Argentina. Now, one of the you know, basic issues which I read a bit about Argentina and things which keep coming across is legalization and decriminalization of abortion is a huge issue in your country. Now, since December, yeah, so since December 2020, abortion is legal in Argentina within the first 14 weeks of pregnancy. Now, the implementation of the law of legalization of abortion within the first 14 weeks of pregnancy met with very severe roadblocks. How would you rate Argentina among the South American uh, countries? in this aspect, because Argentina is one of the leading economies around the world and people look up to Argentina. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think, uh, well, Argentina is a, a leading country uh, in relation to, to abortion in, in South America. Uh, the, the first one to, to legalize abortion uh, was Uruguay uh, and in 2011. But then, uh, secondly, it was Argentina, and this is due to the feminist movement. It was not a law that came uh, from the politicians. It was really like a 15-year-old fight of feminists that mobilized and got all the society mobilized. Uh, to legalize abortion. And then it came also a similar process in Colombia and in Chile. So I think there is a, a wave in South America uh, to legalize abortion. But at the same time, there is a, like a counterattack of uh, right-wing uh, uh, well, activists and movements, especially religion, religion groups, uh, evangelists, uh, Catholic groups. Uh, so this is like we, we cannot, uh, we, we need to keep fighting as feminists because we could, we could lose these rights easily too. Uh, so, yes, I think uh, we need to, to secure uh, what we have achieved. Yeah, that's true. And I really hope so because Latin South America is land of Shiguera. I know one of the most fascinating and I think one of the most ideological leaders in the past century, or I would say I rank him one of the best. There'll be a series on ideological leaders and I very I look up to him. He was a very passionate person. And it's good you worked, you talked about Uruguay. Uruguay is a fascinating country and they did a, a you know, great job in uh, 
fighting pandemic using technology so there, i had you know read a small case about how uruguay did and you have chile you have costa rica costa rica is among the uh, happiest countries in the world i think it's one of the few emerging market countries in the top uh, 20 so you know a lot of fascinating and i i, I hope so you just carry on and a lot of things are happening now in uh, south america mm-hmm. now we yeah. and now we have this uh, new government in chile Uh, the the president is 35 years old and yes. he comes from the student movement so uh, i have a lot of hope in the changes that will come from chile and i also read uh, one of the uh, i think it's uruguay or bolivia one that it's, he's very is a great guy he uh, you know he lives in 1 dollar of salary or something i'm not exactly sure the value but i was fascinated i read and he just drives his second hand car or something like that so you know he's a i might it's good now since we had a conversation of this i'm going to find out and you know write a bit about that i, w- I wanted to i was hoping to also interview him one day you know it's, it's a very fascinating story come to uh, you know the issue with ukraine now the war in ukraine has created one of the largest humanitarian crisis with more than uh, 400000 ukrainian refugees and i'm sure this figure has also gone up and so there are one one of the major reasons now is that there are going to be concerns about exploitation of women including human trafficking now the european union and you know the commission has done an excellent job i do agree they have done an exemplary job in integrating refugees been in its block recently there was also on 9th of april canada e european commission and global giving did a giving and they raised about 9.1 billion euros and i think european commission is also giving about a billion dollars so they have done some some fantastic work but what could be you know done to stop women's exploitation you could uh, you know share your thoughts here I think uh, what's key is to improve the living conditions of of women in uh, refugees in, in receiving countries well for all refugees no but now we are talking in the case of women uh, who can be exploited but if you increase uh, the, the 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 quality of of living uh, if you secure income houses access to health and, and education and also access to decent jobs uh, i think this is this is key uh, to avoid exploitation and and <clears throat> this is what is called by the unhcr long term solutions and this has to do with integration of refugees in the receiving countries so you cannot expect and like something similar happened in the in the world in syria it it took more than 5 years no uh, to 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 well to stop but not, then you have the country that is destroyed so it's difficult for these refugees uh, to come back to their countries of origin in the short time so you have to integrate them to the receiving country to the to the receiving society and and not keep them in camps and completely isolated and marginalized but to include them in the in the hosting society uh, that's true. i mean it's very good you brought up the case of syria and i think that's a great tragedy but i think in this case you has taken some very important steps you know integrating i think they could come and get jobs they mm-hmm. don't need to have a special visa there's been some work done also think uh, in my opinion is because ukraine is uh, seen as a european country although yeah. it's not formally in the european union people like they are uh, 
white people, so and the culture is similar, the religion is similar. So I think also there is a lot of racism in Europe and uh, also Islamophobia. So I think this is also a lesson learned uh, also for uh, those of us who work with migrants and refugees uh, that sometimes there is also discrimination among refugees and among migrants. No, and some countries discriminate what kind of migrants, what kind of refugees they receive and what kind they won't receive. And I think the most criminalized and discriminated migrants are those from South Saharan countries no, in, in Africa. And this has to do with structural racism sorry, and also uh, colonialism no, that still exists. I think, yeah, but, uh, you know, the situation is getting better. I, I think a lot of things have also improved over the time. And maybe the world needs to come together just to get a lot of countries. I think there's a lot of unrest uh, gone around the world. You can't say that it's actually happening. Even if you look at Asia, I mean, there's a lot of turmoil in a lot of uh, some of the countries. So I do, I do uh, understand. Now, when we talk about, you know, we always come to a question about the aha moment. And before I come to the aha moment, what would you like to share anything about Argentina, you know, which you think is fascinating, improving or anything which you like to share with the audience, uh, feel free to, you know, talk about it. Uh, Open-ended question, anything. Argentina. Yeah, anything uh, which you, you think, you know, if, if, uh, but you could talk a bit about what's great about the cuisines. A lot of people want to know because it's a very, uh, when you talk about Argentina, first thing comes to soccer because it's produced some of the most... Yeah. Greatest people from uh, come from Argentina, very passionate about, you know, soccer. That's great. And we can discuss that for us. But what else? You know, I, I, you have, uh, is this a movie also? Well, there's a, um, there's a mu the music and the dance we have it, which is called Tango. I don't know if you yeah, heard. Yeah, Tango, I know, I know. I, I was learning, I was learning dancing and I attended one of the classes with Tango. I'd gone to a Latin American dance and I think when I was studying in China in Shanghai uh, and somebody from Costa Rica I don't remember who he was but he took me to a tango dance it was fascinating I mean I, I really uh, enjoyed the session yes so this is very special because in the rest of Latin America the music is salsa no or cumbia uh, salsa. And, and here in Argentina it's very different the, the music we have and also uh, something which is very typical both from Argentina and Uruguay because we are very similar, similar culturally, Argentina and Uruguay. We talk about Rio Platenses because we, we share the, the river, uh, we share the same river, we are on, on, on either side of the river, so we really are uh, very, very similar culturally. And uh, another a typical thing here, well, is the, to eat meat, <laughs> cow meat, and, and also to drink. Uh, there's a drink that is typical here, which is called mate. I don't know if you heard of it. Uh, and for example, we had uh, Syrian migrants from also in the 19th century, and some of them came back to Syria. And now Syria is the third largest consumer of mate in the world because they okay. took that to the, back to their home. So maybe this could happen uh, in India as well. That uh, We don't have much Indian immigration, but maybe some migrants from India can take 
mate back there and, and then you start also uh, drinking this <laughs> too. Yeah, I'll check it out. I'm sure it must be. The, the, you drink it with a straw. But the, and, and it's a kind of bitter, but it's the, the effects is very similar to coffee. It's like it wakes you up, makes you more active. I think I've seen in some of the Hollywood movies, maybe I might have seen it uh, because when you say straw, I've, I've seen movies where they are drinking. Maybe that it must be this. I, I somehow have uh, maybe I've read about it, but, but it's interesting. Let me check this up in India, how popular it is. I'm sure it must be very popular in Goa. So that would be the place where we'll need to yeah, follow be. Mm-hmm. Come to the final question. It's always been the aha moment. I do understand, you know, we work in a sector which has very few lights or it'll say, you know, some things which could, you know, make you feel happy. But I'm sure uh, over a period of time, there must have been incidents which, you know, gives you a lot of satisfaction. Feel free to share any of them. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I was reflecting on that. Um, I think the, the most important aha moment I have in the past years has been the women's strike on the March 8th, uh, the 8th of March, which is the International Women's Day. And I think that this uh, global strike has been very powerful because it shows first the power of women coming together. And also it has uh, demonstrated the importance of care work uh, and especially care work, which is unpaid. And I think that uh, this this uh, women's strike also shows that uh, if women stop working, the world also stops. I uh, really appreciate Paula, you know, for uh, sharing your, your time. You spoke at length about various issues and I really appreciate and I hope and I think it's a wonderful uh, achievement of work which you're doing. It will be great for the people from around the world to hear your views and you know uh, work towards uh, better women empowerment whether in migration or across board and I really want to thank you for taking time and speaking with me for the middle room. You're much welcome.